welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi everyone welcome to impri web policy talk i request dr chatopadhyay to proceed with the deliberation thank you thank you ritika and uh, very good evening from uh, shantiniketan uh, i am dr shomodip chatopadhyay associate professor vishwabharati university and uh, a senior fellow at this uh, impact and policy research institute new delhi on behalf of the center for habitat urban and regional studies at impri Uh, I welcome you all to this 15th edition of City Conversation series. Uh, India is urbanizing and the growth is occurring across the urban spectrum and following India's attempt to globalization and liberalization since 1990s uh, cities are recognized as key to stimulating economic growth and to achieve a, a world class urban system urban development policies uh, uh, from 1990 onwards started to embrace the philosophy of a uh, new public management and put emphasis on decentralization and increased private sector involvement in urban policy making and indian cities have distinctively experienced simultaneous uh, sort of rollback of neoliberal state in areas such as urban basic services and roll out of the same state in uh, in others for example land acquisition for creation of special economic zones slum addictions facilitation of private sector participation emphasis on financial discipline markets based finance for citizens so on and emphasis also placed on to pursue large urban development projects for transforming indian cities into world class cities and uh, according uh, and simul and correspondingly the task of policy making governance are now increasingly being negotiated by institutional forms for example the special purpose vehicles the parastatal bodies the quasi autonomous government organizations and several non state actors especially the business leaders elite and middle class organizations and civic civic activists now this results in subordination of uh, democratically elected local bodies to these newly autonomous institutions now all these have significant repercussions on the urban people urban poor people's life and livelihoods creating an, a, a kind of new forms of marginalization they face exclusion from state provided access to the Uh, uh, uh basic facilities and services in the city and also they do not find space in the participatory processes that are laid down as an integral part of a good urban governance now this effects of covid-19 uh, have been particularly severe on india's migrants workers uh, who are economically vulnerable and socially marginalized who are absorbed into highly informal invisible and exploitative uh, working arrangements now one thing is clear from the severity of impacts of covid-19 pandemic and the lockdown on the migrant worker is that this group needs special attention and covid-19 exposed not just the plight of the migrant workers but also highlighted how important their contributions are uh, for the forward economy as a whole and by making visible their plight this pandemic has presented a unique opportunity to rethink about the potential pathways through which their lives and livelihoods in the cities can be improved and uh, the center for habitat urban regional uh, studies at impri along with industra global and uh, city makers mission international uh, actually has been conducting this series on 
city conversation. And in this uh, talk series, we are engaging with experts in urban and regional studies uh, to understand the specific challenges of urbanization and also, also what are the possible pathways uh, to make the cities more sustainable, more inclusive. And today, uh, we are delighted to have with us uh, uh, Dr. Asima Shud, Associate Professor at Anant National University. Uh, uh, in this university, she teaches urban policy, research methods, and academic writing. And she is the international corresponding editor at Urban Studies and also has been associated as editor and editorial advisory group member with the Economic and Political Weekly's Review of Urban Affairs since its founding. And she coordinated the urban transformation curriculum for EPG Parsala, an initiative of the Indian Ministry of Education to create a postgraduate curricula across the discipline. And she also contributed the section on Indian urbanization to the Oxford Bibliographies of Urban Studies. And her research lies at the intersection of institutional economics and urban and development studies. And it combines qualitative and quantitative methodologies to examine the uh, privatized forms of urban governance and informal public spaces in India. Uh, in fact, a co-audited volume titled India's Greenfield Urban Future, the Politics of Land, Planning and Infrastructure uh, is forthcoming at Orient Black Swan. And she is also working on a monograph titled Capital Citizens, analyzing the models of private local governments on the uh, Indian growth hubs. And she has been the recipient of several prestigious fellowships, including the fellowships from uh, Urban Studies Foundation, the India Foundation of the Arts, the Azim Tem University Foundation, the Indian Institute of Advanced Studies, and the Center of Sciences Humanities. And her research has been published in almost all the leading journals on uh, urban uh, policies and theories. Uh, for example, Urban Studies, Cities, Statutory Politics and Governance, uh, Information, Communication and Society, Journal of Institutional Economics, uh, Economic and Political Weekly, uh, apart from the Willie Blackwell Encyclopedia of Urban Regional Research, World Science uh, Report 2013, among others. And she earned her PhD in economics from Cornell University. And today, the title of her talk is, Can the Migrant Be Heard of by Our Cities? Migration, Exclusion, Urbanization, and Precarity. And in today's talk, uh, Dr. Shudh plans to look at the migration crisis through the lens of the role uh, played by the governance institution, especially in the peri-urban and peri-metropolitan location, the lens that is crucially important but remains uh, largely unexplored. And also, today we are honored to have among us uh, Professor R.B. Bhagat, Head, Department of Migration and Urban Studies from IIPS Mumbai. And uh, we are also expect to be joined by Professor Gopa Shamanta of University of Bardwan in a short while. So uh, before that, uh, let me now just again, on behalf of the team MP, I welcome you all. I welcome especially Dr. Ashima Shud and uh, Professor R.B. Bhagat. And it's over to you, Dr. Shud, for your presentation. Ma'am, you'll have to unmute. Thank you so much, Professor Chattopadhyay, for that warm introduction. And I'm really thankful to Dr. Kumar also for the invitation to be part of this conversation. I'm so glad to be able to talk today with Professor Bhagat, who is surely the doyen of migration demography in India. Uh, Professor Gopa Samanta's work has been such a critical reference point for the work that I'm going to be presenting today, though I think I won't be able to discuss it in as much detail as I would like. So the question that I'm addressing today is, can the migrant be heard by our cities? Migration, exclusionary urbanization, and precarity. 
let me start by actually giving you an overview of what I plan to tell you about. Um, and so, um, you know, let me first just give you a little bit of an overview and then I can uh, get started. Um, so when we think about the COVID lockdown of 2020, um, it brought to our TV screens, to our newspapers, to our social media, these extremely disturbing images of the migrant workers of India fleeing India's metropolises to return to their rural origins. While commentators have sought to explain uh, this reverse migration in terms of the precarious urban living and working conditions of these migrants. Uh, sometimes they've also pointed to this activistic kind of attachment to a rural life. There are actually very few analysts who focused on the role that is played by governance institutions. Today, what I want to do is I want to present some recent research where I've been trying to make the connection between the peri-urban and peri-metropolitan location of these new economic activities and especially construction activities and the often unrepresented, uh, unrepresentative nature of local government in these sites. When you think of places like Greater Hyderabad, or you think of places like Noida, um, what comes to mind are these very fragmented and specialized forms of government. And these make it extremely hard for migrant workers to assert their right to be citizens. So when we think about these recent scenes of reverse migration, they may represent the outcome of very long-standing processes of exclusionary organization. Not only have the urban poor been pushed out of the core of our mega cities, the political economy of peri-urban settings in many cases uh, is making it very difficult for older models of vote bank politics, for example, that make it possible for the poor to assert a right to the the presentation is partially based on a working paper. Uh, the paper is called Speculative Frontier, Real Estate Governance and Occupancy on the Metropolitan Periphery. And the research on which it was based comes from a grant from the Azim Premji University Foundation. So let me start by um, just foregrounding this crisis that we are witnessing uh, and have witnessed in the last few months. Uh, by some estimates, more than 7.5 million migrants have had gone back to their place of origin by mid-May 2020. And this was nearly two months after the lockdown. Other estimates suggested that the numbers were an order of magnitude higher. And of course, journalists, as we have seen, have really followed these brutal journeys, uh, sometimes on buses, sometimes on trains, and sometimes on foot in the scalding April-May heat of North India. What I want to do today is to position these very stark scenes of departure against what urban scholars uh, know about long-standing patterns of urbanization and urban governance in India. Um, and also perhaps contribute to our understanding uh, of what is happening in the peri-urban locations where a lot of these construction workers and migrant workers have found employment. But let me get started and actually think first about the proximate causes why so many of India's urban workforce have chosen to leave rather than stay, even in the middle of this aging pandemic. So the most immediate crisis which has grow, uh, driven this exodus is that of joblessness. Factories, construction sites, offices have closed in response to the central government's lockdown measures. 
workers were left stranded without money for food or rent some social commentators have also argued that the city may be the source of economic security but it is the village that provides social refuge in times of extreme insecurity i think what's undeniable however is the covid crisis has written large in unmistakable terms the very precarious right to the city for the most vulnerable groups that construct our cities and keep them humming with activity now academics and activists have correctly raised issues of housing injustice that have prevented india's informal workers from accessing secure and high quality housing equally it is by now established by the work of scholars such as amitabh kundu chan raman and others that urban growth in india has been very highly exclusionary so if we think about the last census period for which we have data which is 2011 to 2000 uh, 2001 to 2011 uh, there was not only lower in migration but also net out migration from some of india's biggest mega cities such as mumbai i think the question then really uh, arises which is why are our cities so hostile to migrants but what i'm trying to argue here today is that this question cannot be separated from the larger question of how our cities either accommodate or rather fail to accommodate poor groups informal workers and informal sectors um the rates of what ravi shivastav has called permanent migrants uh, are actually a very small part of urban growth in india over the last several decades uh, these kinds of flows have had it not more than a quarter uh, or something like that at their peak to urban growth so to understand exclusionary urbanization and this problematic uh, i want to take us back to an episode in 2017 that received a lot of news coverage but has been since perhaps forgotten so i would please request you to change the slide here um this incident at mahagun modern which is a gated community in noida make encapsulate in brief answers to what makes indian cities such inhospitable terrain for poor groups so what happened was this let me give you a brief uh, uh, reminder of uh, the uh, uh, turn of events in july july 2017 a domestic worker went missing in mahagun modern uh, this is a middle class gated community in sector 78 of noida the domestic workers husband brought together a group and they went and actually stormed the gated community next day the woman was found um the next day from within the premises of the gated community and after that she and her uh, employers uh, who were the sethis began to trade uh, uh, basically insults and claims about what had actually happened and who stole what so the employers claimed that zohra bibi had uh, actually stolen cash and zohra bibi said that her wages had been uh, taken away and not given to her by her employers now the facts of this case were obviously uh, very combustible uh, the employers were upper caste hindus and the maid was a muslim migrant from west bengal and of course coded as bangladeshi but i think uh, to really understand the crux of what was happening here we have to understand what happened afterwards several of the protesters that led the forced entry into mahagun modern were arrested by the police 
and then the informal establishment that service uh, modern and the shanties which housed this domestic workers community were raised to the ground by the noida authorities what we saw really was a kind of a display of class power uh, with the formal gated community winning the battle against its informal neighbors and service providers there are many ways to read this no doubt the communal politics of our times definitely plays a role so does the ascendance of these resident welfare associations which have become very powerful this is also a story about the poor social protections available to domestic workers it is very much of a piece with the regimes of displacement and exclusionary organization that have emerged in post millennial mega cities however the mahagun modern episode also represents a moment of a breakdown of this contract and the part of that called breakdown is a story of urban governance let me explain to you what i mean here um i think to understand how this sort of really major point of breakdown came about uh we i i found very useful to think about partha chatterjee's analysis of political society and civil society so till the 1980s the urban contract allowed poor groups to be accommodated sometimes even within the heart of mega cities as populations even if they were not full fledged citizens the government was forced to administer welfare for to, for this political society uh, because of competitive vote bank policies the poor did not have patta but they were given power they were given water they were given sanitation they were given schools and as partha chatterjee has argued the rise of this paralegal kind of infrastructure to service the working classes was a really remarkable phenomenon of the 1970s and 80s and the main point that patha chatterjee has made is that this welfareism if you like uh, was fundamentally different from the rights and entitlements due to citizens uh, i would just request you here to please change the slide uh, and i have an image here from uh, bokaro which is of course a steel town that was set up in the nehruvian era and uh, you know these are some bastis that have come up in this planned uh, city and you know i think they make very well the point that i'm uh, talking about and which patha chatterjee is also talking about which is that you know there was a kind of welfareism and a willingness to accommodate the poor in the middle of even the planned city now this diversity of tenure systems and you know this kind of claim making by the poorest groups continued right into the early 2000s and they were very powerful at the level of the lower bureaucracy and municipal politics and solly benjamin of course as you may know has described this as occupancy politics this occupancy politics made space for and forced the accommodation of all kinds of poor groups um yet as partha chatterjee noted lina dila fernandes noted and a number of other social scientists began to uh, notice uh, things began to change in a very big way in the 1990s and even more so in the 2000s part of this change was this new promiseness of middle class civil society and citizen groups and they basically took on this mantle this kind of crusade almost of ridding the indian mega cities of the capital of the polluters and of the encroachers uh partha chatterjee located this sort of shift in this imagination of the uh, a changing imaginary of the indian city 
uh, at the same time the economic base of indian cities was shifting from manufacturing to services factories were basically driven to the periphery what resulted was that there was this widely shared vision of the post industrial world class city among middle class citizens uh, and as parta chatterji said in the early 2000s what has come to be is a city of extreme disparity and segregation now solomon benjamin who is probably one of the pioneering and sort of most uh, incisive commentators on uh, the indian urban scene working with bhubneshwari raman he located sort of the enemy if you like of occupancy urbanism in indian cities in master plan development and according to him the focus on planning was a very very uh, you know influential variable and this analysis i think has come to be incorporated in a lot of subsequent studies um which have focused really on exclusionary forms of planning as the key culprit for the spatial disparities of the indian city now um all this is fine but where does the mahagun modern episode uh, fit into these narratives of the indian city first I want to point out a large number of similarities of course uh, like much of sector 78 noida mahagun modern is a master planned uh, locality it represents in a way a middle class city of dreams and this is the terms that i'm using from uh, mp mahesh sharma uh, who represents noida at the same time mahagun modern also represents some points of difference from theorization of the politics of the poor in strategies of benjamin's work and this is where my own work starts this is what my point of departure is um first i want to point out that noida is part of a new wave of real estate uh, driven peri urban growth that is shaping metropolitan peripheries second and this is really remarkable over four decades after its establishment noida still does not have a statutory urban government no municipal corporation beyond the noida authority so in some ways it's a kind of a master plan census town so let's take the implications of each of these differences in turn first mahagun modern is very typical of this new peri urbanism that is emerging there are two aspects to this peri urbanism first it is overwhelmingly led by private real estate capital and second it is really concentrated in india's mega cities and million plus cities and i would request you here to please change the slide because i have this map um that comes from my project how do we know this uh so working with my co pi we looked at data from the center for monitoring the indian economy and we looked at real estate projects with investments over 1 crore rupees so these are really the largest most prominent projects and we mapped out their locations the result is this map that you see um when the extent of geographic concentration is really really outstanding uh, it's astounding now out of all the completed real estate housing and commercial construction projects uh two thirds uh were located in excuse me one of india's top 8 tier 1 cities right top 8 tier 1 cities even though these cities and these include for example the delhi national capital region 
Mumbai, Bangalore, Hyderabad, Chennai, Kolkata, Indraabad, Pune. These only comprise about a quarter, a little more than that of India's urban population. Out of this, nearly 15% of all completed outstanding and shelved real estate projects were located in the Delhi National Capital Region alone, which is where really Mahagun Modern and this, uh, you know, a phenomenon of peri-urban growth in Noida is located. Our database has about 7,500 7, or so projects, but these are really the largest and the most prominent projects uh, anywhere in India. And the clustering around these Indian mega cities suggests what I call, like to call a kind of a speculative map of future urban India. These are sites not only of future population concentration, but also today, currently, they are also sites of large pools of construction labor, uh, a large proportion of whom we know to be migrants. Now, uh, if I may just request you to please change uh, the slide. Uh, this is actually an image of uh, Greater Hyderabad. And what you see here uh, is uh, the boundary of the Greater Hyderabad Municipal Corporation, which is in black. You see the outer ring road, which is the red dotted line. And uh, these dots are essentially all of these uh, real estate projects. Some of them are, of course, a large number are led by private Indian uh, real estate developers. Some of them are led, led by the state government, some local government. But you see this uh, remarkable clustering on the outskirts, especially on the western outskirts of the city. And this is an area that I've been looking at with a lot of interest. So what are the kinds of governance arrangements in the settings of this real estate-shaped peri-urban frontier? Um, and do they actually give voice to low-skilled migrants and poor groups that are actually as we have seen just now, are really clustered in these locations. This is one other place where the fate of the informal workers in Mahagun Modern incident uh, highlights the often overlooked dynamics of governance. And this is not merely about planning. Remember that middle class activists, in order to shape the city, uh, they need institutional channels to realize this vision of the world class city. Uh, in places like Bangalore, as Michael Goldman and others have shown, this has happened through parastaters, it's happened through these, you know, uh, parallel channels, you know, and elite groups. Um, in other places, Delhi, Chennai, and many other parts of India, the resident welfare associations have eagerly co-opted into the state agendas. Uh, and of course, last but not least, is the changed role of the judiciary in enforcing exclusionary organization whether it is an upholding evictions since the 2000s or in facilitating the spatial dislocation of industries from cities like Delhi. However, a key institutional channel that scholars have sometimes failed to note is the form of local government itself. Now, when we think about the 74th constitutional amendment, which really set up urban local bodies as the third tier of government in India, uh, its key contribution was to create channels for underprivileged groups to attain representation. Uh, and Benjamin's occupancy urbanism really works through these local councillors who are socially embedded in communities. On the other hand, when we think of the Noida Authority or its counterpart parts like, uh, you know, Bangalore's Electronic City Industrial Township, or if you think of the industrial area local authorities in Hyderabad, 
these are by design responsive only to industry and middle class groups now this might seem simply an artifact of land use zoning right that these are essentially areas that are intended for industry that's not the case the fact is that noida in 2011 had a population of over 6 lakh um similarly in hyderabad these specialized and privatized enclaves like the uh, uh, industrial area local authorities often house middle class housing localities at the same time they devolve the powers and functions of the municipal government to the state's industrial infrastructure corporation and this is a wholly these are entirely unrepresentative unresponsive bodies uh so the way that they function is ready to undermine the channels of vote bank politics and occupancy that poor groups have traditionally exercised in urban areas in order to assert you know their claims to land and to services now there's a second nuance to the story that i think in all fairness i should present uh which is to note that uh, the periurban is also a place where there is a lot of uh, transitional and contested governance governments so for example in periurban hyderabad uh, there are many many fast growing villages and localities with a lot of real estate activity and they have resisted inclusion into the greater hyderabad municipal corporation so what is the result the result is this very fragmented governance landscape where you know in any given place it's almost impossible to know who is in charge now this kind of flux is not necessarily empowering to poor groups <clears throat> we've looked at this in a recent paper and um, where we studied a community that is situated at the spatial intersection of multiple governance regimes and once again i would request you to please uh, present the next slide uh, which has uh, this uh, really remarkable image of periurban hyderabad and community this community that i am talking about that we studied and others like it on the periurban frontier have always been vulnerable to eviction even after many many decades of occupation uh, they suffer rare shortages in all kinds of basic services provision they have severe water supply issues and a big reason for this situation is that jurisdictional accountability is very very hazy so uh, as i come to the end of my presentation uh, let me summarize my argument my argument is that the crisis of reverse migration that has become so starkly visible this year has been building up for decades there has been exclusionary urbanization but more important it has also assumed new forms of exclusionary periurbanization now ultimately these exclusions have been made possible by the systematic dismantling of a paralegal welfare infrastructure of the 1970s and 1980s moreover on the peripheries of cities exclusionary periurbanization is upheld by new forms of specialized and transitional governance that are completely unresponsive to poor groups and this is often in the areas that are seeing the largest real estate activity and construction workforces therefore urban governance in this speculative map if you like of future india really serves to undermine the possibility of citizenship for those that are actually constructing it so now in conclusion i want to suggest that uh, if we really want to look at this crisis of migration and reverse migration we should look very closely at the democratic mechanisms at the local level 
do they give voice to migrant communities do we need reservations for migrant workers in ward sabhas that's a mechanism that will only work in municipal bodies how do we make development authorities infrastructure corporations more responsive to these vulnerable workers i think that is really the greatest governance challenge for our time thank you thank you thank you uh, dr shruti for your very interesting presentation so as as always i it's it's really really enthralling so you you uh, this is an uh, uh, like we have uh, seen a lot of works on the migrants issue but uh, as you mentioned there are very few studies which actually looked at this migrant crisis from this governance perspective or using this uh, governance uh, frame or the deficit of governance which are uh, which actually characterizes the uh, peri urban areas so so that's that's very important and 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 what i think is that as you as you rightly said that because of this uh, indian cities uh, experience with incomplete decentralization there is a sort of insignificant devolution of funding and 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 the public authority and the policy authority to the municipal level but at the same time uh, uh, city governments are being uh, are being confronted with Uh, uh more uh, interstate competition for attracting capital for example you you talked about the speculative uh, nature of the urbanism and all these things but and 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 what the state governments are doing they are for facilitating such world class tran transformation of the indian cities they are actually creating several prestatal agencies uh, special purpose vehicles uh, at, at different levels and 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 the statutory power of these agencies they are actually going beyond the uh beyond making plans for city development preparing detailed plans for plotting areas uh, for providing social and physical infrastructures and all these things and uh, the benefit uh, the big advantage of these kind of uh, uh, entities are that that these agencies are are sit at a kind of arms length the state government for facilitating the necessary uh, uh, maneuvering and 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 political legitimizing the state governments action and and but the thing is that uh, when all these institutions are there that actually led to the uh, kind of fragmented governance landscape uh, which you actually mentioned that it led to the led to the weakening of the uh, of of the of the uh, uh, of the uh, elected local local governments although the local governments are not there at the areas which you are actually uh, looking at the peri urban uh, areas and 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 the peri metropolitan areas but uh, but Uh, as a whole uh, what is actually happening happening is that these uh, poor people they are finding it very difficult to raise their voices to raise to 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 tell about their needs and priorities and 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 uh, so this this is this is this is a very uh, strange situation and all these uh, sort uh, if i say the new state spaces which have been created but these are all insulated and uh, uh, insulated from all the political uh, uh, maneuvering on which the Uh, these poor people depend a lot and this actually makes uh, the entire decision making process uh, uh, regarding all these facilities uh, urban services and all these very much discretionary in nature and participation uh, even if uh, in some form are there uh, although more or less they are non existent but even if participation is there but they are mannered in a in, in, in such a manner so as to uh, legitimize the the uh, some kind of neoliberal vision of market driven development and here uh, more emphasis is, is placed on some particular notions of ordered cities clean cities efficient cities and all uh, and so on, and so on and so forth so and also you mentioned about the 
politics of vote bank. So really, politics at the local level, they uh, uh, that actually plays a significant role in determining uh, whether any particular area uh, in the pedi-urban uh, regions, they are actually included in any urban development plans, in, 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 any, in any plans or policies on uh, or, 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 an urban poor who do not generally form a political constituency, uh, they end up being completely unrepresented in such uh, decision-making process. So, so actually uh, what, we are see, what we are seeing is that, uh, that, that, uh, that uh, there is a gross under-representation of the uh, uh, migrant people, the urban poor people in the uh, uh, decision-making process, uh, if any, uh, you talked about the judicial activism. Uh, recently, there are a lot of talks have been going on the judicial activism and all these things. But uh, overall, uh, uh, so 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 it is very much important, uh, as you mentioned, that it is very much important for us to understand that how the Indian cities are going to be transformed uh, through this kind of uh, spatial imaginaries, the modes of control, uh, the regulations, the governance, uh, which are actually shaped by the inter intersection or, or interactions among these different uh, multi-scalar actors with different sources of powers and, uh, and, uh, and politics. So uh, it's really, really a very uh, interesting uh, uh, presentation and all these things. But before that, uh, before making any further comment, let me uh, go uh, uh, request uh, Professor R.B. Bhagat uh, if he uh, can present his views or comments on the presentation made by uh, Dr. Sood. So, thank uh, you. Professor R.B. Bhagat yes, is the yes, yes. head yes. and professor of the urban and yes. So I think you need, need do not need any uh, introduction as far as yeah. the migration issues are concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For this group, I think I came several times. Do not need any introduction. <laughs> so thank you, Dr. Chattopadhyay. And it is very nice listening, uh, Dr. Asima Sood. And she presented very articulately and very focused way what is happening in today's urbanization and particularly the peri-urban problems. So I think there is a absolutely very nice and uh, presentation and uh, and the synthesis of what is happening at a metropolitan level so metropolitan cities are dominating and then peri urbanization uh, led by metropolitan cities uh, this is becoming very very important and then we have census towns and then we can little bit go ahead and that is also some sort of peri urbanization or transitional or uh, urbanization so these are our uh, continuous process or rural urban continuum, but there are a lot of exclusion, I, I agree. And these are exclusions are basically economic exclusion and the way the capital accumulation took place and uh, the profits and then what happens, uh, what is the role of the state and then people are getting marginalized and then obviously the migrants are the obvious categories of exclusion. Uh, so uh, policies and program must focus it, but we don't have policies and program also focus uh, seriously to the city. Uh, we have a smart cities mission, but that is for 100 smart, smart cities. Then we have Amrit Atal mission for rejuvenation and urban transformation. 
that is another 500 city. But we have around 7,900, something like uh, around 8,000 cities and towns. So you can imagine this almost 7,000 city, uh, 7,000 urban centers, they don't have any funding. So what we are seeing, the whatever the funding is there from this, from the government side, it is just for less than 1,000 cities and towns. So rest of the towns, urban centers, they don't have funding. Then the, when the funding comes, funding comes in a project mode. So government officials in a small town, why they are going to make so much, uh, uh, take the pain of uh, making the project and there are a lot of risk. So in many cases, what you see in terms of program and funding, it doesn't reach. It doesn't actually spend. So this is happening from the government side and it is entirely messy. Urban development is a state subject, but all programs you find, most of the programs you find coming from the central government. And when there is a, some sort of failure, then of course in, this happens uh, for every program. It is not for urban development, it is for rural development, for, for the health sector. So center-state relationship uh, is very, very important. And how uh, state government becomes active, how the planning board of states become active, these are very crucial things because without planning, there cannot be good governance. This is my uh, way of looking or understanding that if you want to have a good governance, uh, you must have a planning. But in this country, everything is happening in a project mode and planning is, is abundant. Whatever planning we have, centralized, top-down, bureaucratic, corrupt, this was what was the planning. We don't have the bottom-up and the decentralized type of planning which is the need of the hour. So I, I, I'm very surprised to see, and I must, uh, I, I must make a plea or argue for the 74th amendment to the constitution. It should be implemented uh, later in history. And within this uh, amendment, planning is, I think, very fundamental thing, and planning and governance very closely related. So I'm wondering to see sometime MG Narega, how MG Narega can run without a village plan, how you can create an asset in village without having a plan, how we can have Swachh Bharat without having a plan, because Swachh Bharat is not simply constructing toilet and after some time, there is no water available in the household or in the village. So it, it must be linked with water set development. It must be linked with piped water supply within the village. So village planning is very, very critical. And that is the bottom of planning, right from the village to the block level, to the district level, and then the state and the country. So this bottom of planning, decentralized planning, that is, I think, the, the core and participatory planning. It is not the planning should be expert driven, but what is happening, it is a project in project mode and experts now making the plan and then it is not serving the interest of the people. So plan and people are separate. Planning is for capital accumulation, not for the people. So this is disconnect. So again, in exclusionary urbanization, these are the mechanism of, uh, of governance and planning, which are ex extremely uh, instrumental in excluding uh, 
so in the context of city, if you see, cities should have been also planned and governed in that way. But this is not happening. Planning is of is now virtually abandoned. There is nothing like culture of planning or thinking about planning, but think of project. And each project is not connected with other project. So therefore, the crucial issue, I think, that is a fundamental political and economic issue, is who owns the city? Who owns the city? And that is fundamentally, and when we look at who owns the city, now everybody is owning the city. And those who are the big players, they are owning the city. It is private players owning the city. It is state government owning the city. It is central government owning the city. And so city, it has become, from governance point of view, it has become very, very chaotic. Therefore, under 74th Amendment to the Constitution, city must be restored to the local bodies and the local governance. That is, I think. But now what is happening? After 74th Amendment, a lot of things have happened to dismantle this type of uh, spirit that is coming from the 74th Amendment. And now you see, if you look at Metro, as uh, 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 Dr. Sudh has pointed out a lot of, with a lot of examples, I think very, very good examples and very practical and what is happening at a grassroots level. So at a governance level, you find multi-layers. We have municipal corporation, then we have development authority. So you have municipal corporation of Hyderabad, and then uh, then um, uh, then urban authority, Hyderabad urban uh, authority, urban development authority. Now, then some of the cities like Hyderabad or Ranchi or uh, Jaipur, they have become smart city. So now we have a special purpose vehicle. So now you can see the layers, municipal corporation, uh, urban development authority, special purpose vehicle, everybody is doing it in their own way, owning the city, and then the, uh, uh, the people are getting disconnected. So that is what is the crucial issue, that the city must be restored to the people, and people should be participating in the decision making, in making and remaking of the city. And that is what is the right to the city, that we must have right to city, right to space, and to change the space and place. Uh, and by changing space and place, we can make our life, uh, we can make our life and uh, access to opportunities or, uh, so these things are, I think, critical for, for uh, policy and programs, and I think this is not going to change easily because there are a lot of uh, political economic issues are there, there are issues of power, so it can be changed through, uh, not through awareness, but it requires a, a good social base, a good social movement, and, and political, or so this is, I think, a very, very uh, uh, political issues, and, uh, uh, but uh, the politics, future politics will be unfolded in the cities. Uh, and that Delhi has given for last 10 years or so that the new party has emerged, whether successful or not successful. But a type of new politics around the issues related to the access to water, access to health services, access to other amenities in the cities and how people are getting access. Uh, so, 
if this that, that is in a happening in a good way it can it can beat communal polarization it can uh, beat uh, money power lot of money power that is coming in our elections so in spite of the lot of uh, pressure a lot of uh, 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 force uh, that type of politics still wins so i think this is a largely a political issue and governance i think very very important and uh, looking governance from political electoral electoral re reforms and strengthening people the migration issue becoming important they are ma marginal they are not part of the city they are excluded politically a, a group of my uh, migrants are politically excluded they they don't have voting rights within the city so uh, they, they i think they they are voiceless so this is the particular migrant who are circulating who are temporary migrants who are working in the construction sector or other informal sectors not like migrants you and me uh, who are also migrant but we can vote we are included in the urban system we are permanent and semi permanent migrants so this migrant migration is not a something a single form it has multiple form and uh, we must address in a disaggregated way the seasonal temporary migrants who are uh, economically excluded and also politically excluded so this has pandemic has brought this thing to our light uh, and you have seen that uh, before bihar election people went to bihar but uh, after 2 3 months they returned but in the meantime there was a bihar bihar election so they cannot go again and to vote in the bihar because their uh, names are there in the voter list in bihar not in mumbai or in delhi many of them so the political exclusion and therefore you will be surprising that bihar is such a politically conscious state but voting percentage is 54% how come bihar i can understand in delhi or mumbai it, uh, people are not voting or there are less percentage of voting turnout but bihar uh, where 54% turnout it is not only this election last election also a large part of the bihari population are excluded be franchised because they live uh, outside and their names are there and some uh, all those who are old migrants only their names are politically included so this larger issue of political exclusion also takes place in respect with uh, uh, our temporary seasonal temporary seasonal and circulatory migrants so i think lot of things are there to discuss and uh, i think uh, dr sudha has rightly focused on the basic issues of this peripheral urbanization led by led by the metropolitan cities and what is happening actually and this what my um, argument will be or uh, my line of thinking will be that there is this is this is a very very political political issue the way we can uh, articulate and then there are uh, economic aspects and economists have a great role to play in understanding this type of dynamics of capital accumulation but there should be partnership of political scientist also Uh, and civil society also uh, to understanding what is happening because urban is going to affect everybody everybody it is affecting everybody so i will stop here uh, so thank you very much
Thank you. Thank you, Professor Bharat. Really, really, uh, there is a serious policy disconnect between the, uh, the rhetoric of the urban policies and the reality. Uh, uh, whereas all the uh, central government or state government urban plan and policies, they are actually advocating more and more depoliticization. But uh, if you're looking at the urban poor people, they are actually taking the help of these uh, political person, be the be their local elected representatives, or maybe the informally uh, they are approaching their uh, the local political powerful person to ensure their access uh, to the basic services which they, which are basically needed for their survival to their cities. Uh, obviously, and this is this, they, they they have no other option but to approach these uh, councillors or the informal uh, local powerful people because state has failed uh, to provide them with some basic services. So. So, so, and also you have advocated the need for uh, the right to the city, which is again, uh, a very much a political issue. So, uh, so it's now over to uh, Dr. Shud for your uh, response to what Professor Bhagavat has said. Um, absolutely, thank you so much, uh, Professor Bhagavat. I mean, it's quite truly an honor for me to, you know, have your comments on, on this presentation. Um, I, I, I cannot agree more. I think that, you know, uh, we have to uh, reinstate politics at the center of our cities. And, you know, this move, the neoliberal move towards depoliticization has, has really, you know, served to exclude. Um, but I did want to just sort of uh, add, I think, sort of one point, uh, which is that, you know, I think um, a lot of what we are documenting, and especially with these specialized forms of governance, uh, these are not really new. This is what is so remarkable. So I did show you a photograph of Bukaro, for example. Um, you know, there's been Jamshedpur, uh, many of the steel towns. You know, these private forms of government are actually quite right. And they were really set in motion at the same time. I mean, they, they've had a long history, but they were given a new impetus uh, by the 74th Constitutional Amendment itself, which has this exception of the industrial township. And this is an exception that has been invoked, for example, in Hyderabad and Telangana, and uh, you know, of course, in Andhra Pradesh before that, uh, to create these special areas. Uh, I do think that uh, you know, enclaves are very central to the imagination of this neoliberal city, and we've not paid enough attention to them. Um, and they do serve as a kind of a, a opposition, a very, very strong support, if you like against you know uh, this kind of occupancy politics which is really what makes the cities livable you know if you think about uh, and this is something i tell my students most of our cities are uh, like icebergs because what you see is such a small proportion what can be counted what actually uh, you know is part of you know our data you know is a, a part of the policy makers imagination this formal employment, you know, the formal settlements, um, about 82% of all Indian workers are informally employed. Even in cities like Delhi, over three quarters actually live in informal settlements, right? Um, so this is the reality of the Indian city. Uh, but policymakers see this very small segment. And I think this is a big part of the challenge of politics. How do you make this, you know, invisible, visible? Um, and so, uh, Professor Bhagat, I, I cannot agree more. I do think that 
um, you know, I agree with you that politics has to come to the center of our imagination and it, it cannot be a technocratic exercise by economists for sure. Uh, it, it has to really be uh, the conscious work of all the participants in the city, but also to recognize the continuities. I, I did point out today some of the discontinuities, some of the breaks and the ruptures, but there are actually lots of continuities from what has been happening in our cities for the last uh, pre-independence period. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's just something that I wanted to bring to your attention. And we need to understand the continuities in order to understand you know, where things went wrong and how to put them back. So thank you, thank you, uh, Dr. Shrud. Now oh. let's uh, 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 now request Professor Gopal Shamanto. You are really uh, fortunate to have her with us. So actually when she uh, informed me that she will be registering for this program, so immediately I uh, requested Dr. Arjun, say, why not we have Professor Shamanto as one of our panelists because uh, it's really uh, the topic in which she's almost a, a specialist. She has done a lot of research. So just a uh, very formal introduction, like Professor Gopal Shamanto is from uh, University of Bardwan, and she has been doing a lot of research on these urban-related issues, especially on the smaller cities. And she uh, did some excellent collaborative work with the CPR and the uh, suburban uh, urbanization, subaltern urbanization. So, so it's over to Professor Shamanto for your uh, comments. Uh, or any questions, any any anything on Dr. Shu's presentation? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Shomudip. Am I audible? Because yes, yes, yes. Because, uh, my connection was poor. Okay, thank you. Thank you for bringing uh, me here because Ashima is really a good friend of mine, and it was it is always wonderful to listen to Ashima. Oshima has done a very well-organized kind of ideas about what is happening these days around, especially around governance and looking at the migration migrants problem. Then I, for my first comment would be when we use the term that migrant, then we have to be very careful as Professor Bhagat has already mentioned this, that when we use the term migrant, in fact, the cities today's global cities or smart cities or whatever it is, neoliberal cities are expanding only for the migrants, but those are actually migrants coming from the uh, upper upper uh, ladder. I think, you know, they are either middle class, upper middle class or rich class. They are all migrants. So we have to use the term very specifically that here for the migrant, when you talk about migrant, we target poor migrants or labor migrants. That's, that's a very specific term. We have to be very careful because each cities are growing only by the migrants, you know? But, you know, we don't, we don't take into account these IT people who are moving from one city to other city, all these, you know, private university um, faculties or many other new, uh, new entrepreneurship and the employment uh, sector, we do not count when we think about migration. And that is my first um, um, thing to add. And what I would like to also tell you that um, Oshima has um, uh, very nicely um, told us that this period, there are there are a lot of lot of agencies like you know um, so many stakeholders working at the uh, for the urban governance sector. In fact, and 
um, yes, uh, 74th Amendment, again, it's an important issue. And as Shomodip has already pointed out that it is half done. It's not, it's not yet that entire devolution, you know, uh, financial devolution is not yet done. But Shomodip, I have a reservation to, 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 to your comment because, you know, even if we think that as my own um, understanding of smaller cities, that it's not also possible if we leave the smaller cities to survive on their own and taking the credit from the market, they are not at all in that position to carry on. And my question is, why do we ask the cities to survive on their own? You know, these are also part of our country and these are also important places. If we consider the cities are centers of economic growth, then why would we ask the cities to survive on their own? They have to arrange their funding from market and they have to provide the services. This is not just done. We can not tell them like all other sectors we are doing we are pushing more that we are withdrawing public sector and we are pushing for more and more privatization in health sector in education sector so the same strategy i really critic for even for the cities another important thing i would like to raise that these days professor bhagat has nicely presented already that we always think about a project and program you know but cities basic things when we think about the services in a city then we think about only only a few things like you know water like water electricity uh, street lighting enough and sanitation that's all in fact otherwise many other things and also till now in in india the cities in a health sector education sector they have very very negligible presence you know these are under under the different line departments like you know state government education department so schools are under the education department health sectors are also under the health department these are not at all within the city's government. And I do not argue for city's government, uh, for, for the stake of city's government in these sectors. So the, my point is that this project orientation, you know, cities, they need continuous funding and fund flow for certain kind of things like providing enough water, potable water to all the citizens, and also the sanitation and solid waste management, et cetera, et cetera. Then we are not pumping money continuously into those sectors. We are developing projects like Amrut and then JNNURM, et cetera, et cetera. We have different types of ideas that, and you, if, if we see that we, we, we will see in those projects, actually we are trying to focus more on infrastructure because we want to project the cities at engines of growth. We, we are focused as, as uh, already Oshima has pointed out that always we are targeting to make it like you know the center of neoliberal investment you know that's why we are focusing more on infrastructure and we are we are neglecting the service sector that is very very important in the governance sector and in case when there is a project it is always the funds are coming which is called the tied fund that you cannot utilize a fund allocated for something under some project into another thing but cities must have a choice to choose when so they need more untied fund for example the the central government funding is for you know transport development of roads and overbridge and it's a flyovers etc etc but probably that particular city needs more water infrastructure than the flyover but you cannot switch fund from one head to the other if the funds are tied so we have to think about cities needs funding from the government sector 
smaller cities especially that they can never run on their own through a minimal uh, kind of you know resource generation uh, they have at their at their disposal from and they they are not capable of uh, bringing those from the market at so the thing is we have to consider the rather than thinking about a different project targeting different kinds the cities are um, the cities should be facilitated um, on a, on, a, on, a, on by a continuous fund flow for certain kinds of minimal service provision that is very very important for each cities even if it is a small one or big one or whatever and then another thing is then then the question comes the planning you know uh, professor bhagat has already raised that issue that planning we are not planning and we are just going whatever we are thinking that it is it, it is something like that but i also have a different angle to bring in into this because we are always planned for but we never thought about where we are going to keep the poor people to run to 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 run our cities no wherever there was a plan like even if these days we think that smart cities are definitely planned cities but where we are thinking that we are going to keep the poor migrants at least the labor class without whom the cities no city in india can run on their own we need them but we never thought of keeping them and including including them within our cities probably you know that just like the housing sector we had a housing for all program and when that very program was constitutionalized i was just thinking that how many people have the land on their own that they can build their own houses and now you see after failing that program now we are thinking about it's not the rental housing program newly developed rental housing program so the thing is it's not only planning it is about the sensitiveness of the planners and policy makers or the local government whoever is in power that we cannot build our cities only for industrial houses only for market sector only for rich and middle class we need a, a huge number of poor migrants labor class informal sectors without whom we cannot run our cities so we have to be sensitive enough that we can accommodate them within our cities otherwise it will always be like exclusionary and it is it is we, we are seeing more and more that we are we are prioritizing the private corporates and other sectors to to and government is facilitating displacement of slums like you know the when i use the term slum then it comes to my mind that slum we had created slum you know it's not that poor people have just walked into the city and they have created the slum no because they forced to be forced to live in a slum because we have we have not left any space to accommodate them in the cities so even if we think about planning then planning must be sensitive enough so that we can think about about the poor people to bring in and also another point uh, oshima has raised that peri urban you know peri urban is really really very crucial areas where you know there is a, you know either multiple governance or no complete you know it it is probably under the city already cities encroaching upon that area peri urban area but probably you know the governance is under like you know uh, uh, it, it, it's like a panchayat gram panchayat 
kind of they are not even capable of the same thing happens as as professor bhagat has already raised that this the same thing happens to census towns of india as well so in that case peri urban areas are also but in most cases this peri urban areas comes under the development authority and when it is again under the development authority the full attention is going towards infrastructure so my end point would be that we need to focus more and more on the services rather than putting more emphasis on the infrastructure and i would i would try to define that way that neoliberal infrastructure which are friendly for upper class citizens or uh, higher middle class citizens so that's that's very very important because we need it at least because water if we think about water and sanitation sector then probably greater community they they do not any more depend on the municipal services it is only poor in most cases if we think, think about the smaller cities it is only poor who are basically more dependent on the city governments for their services so if there is a lack of interest in developing more and more public sectors are more public uh, public uh, service sector services within the we are becoming exclusionary absolutely in practice which we need to rethink so i think um, if we really uh, sensitive about our urban future especially in india which is no more in the metropolitan cities only because the smaller cities are no, big metropolitan cities are have already become exclusionary because of the real estate and all these things so even the smaller cities are taking the same path and we are more and more pushing off the poor people from the cities so if we policy makers so whoever is in their capacity if we are if we are not sensitive enough about the demand for the poor and we think about inclusionary cities then really we are creating more and more trouble for us thank you thank you thank you professor shamanto for raising so many important points so all of them are really really very much pertinent for our today's discussion and just to add to your whatever you have said but i think is that and if we look at the urban plans and policies uh, they have a tendency to view the informality because why i am saying about this informality because informality is the way uh, through which the urban poor the negotiating with the cities but unfortunately if we look at the uh, dominant urban plan and policies in india then they have a tendency to view the informality as a problem and they tend to criminalize it rather than uh, considering it as a solution uh, which they develop Uh, so to say the organically to address some of the challenges posed by these uh, neoliberal policies and all these things so what as you rightly mentioned that that state they need to take cognizance of and and learn from the informal practices and they need to try to incorporate whatever uh, uh, informal practices they are actually uh, practicing into the uh, for for developing policies and plans that uh, and then only our cities can be uh, truly inclusive in nature and secondly regarding the incomplete decentralization yes so that is another important thing that uh, this, uh, this the basic problem with this decentralization framework is that it actually adopts a one size fit for fit for all approach so uh, definitely the uh, the needs and priorities the socio political uh, consideration the uh, factors all those are vary from city to city so we need to take into account for example it's not uh, it's not uh, it would be uh, rather erroneous for us to assume that 
the city corporation of mumbai the functional domain of the city corporation of greater mumbai is the same as the functional domain of the say a uh, smaller city of say odisha or west bengal so 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 we need to think about all these things so uh, thank you thank you very much for your uh, comments and uh, 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 and all the points you have raised now it's over to dr shud uh, if you want to respond what professor shamanto has uh, said you know i'm so glad to have uh, you know this chance to speak to professor gopa uh, you know she's actually been one of the people who've been kind enough to look at this paper in the process uh, you know has been it's gone through multiple revisions and so i'm so glad to have her comments today and uh, you know um, professor gopa i absolutely agree both your point and professor bhagat's point uh, about migrants and the sort of utter diversity of migration schemes that we see in indian cities and of course you know what um, you know maybe called permanent migrants you know those who are actually captured or have been captured by the census are a very small part of that and you are absolutely right that there is tremendous difference between you know the uh, really highly skilled it migrants versus you know the migrants who are uh, you know low skilled migrants those who are going to be really find refuge in the informal sector in the city um in addition i think uh, you know um, there is however a point that i wanted to make which is that the choice of the migrant to you know um, engage in this forms of seasonal and circular migration may also in itself reflect the very inhospitable and actually hostile conditions that they face in the city uh so uh, my argument would be to say that uh, you know it's not simply about uh, you know there is definitely categories and there are differences in the motivations of migrants but at the same time uh, you know the choice of uh, the fact that over you know these last several decades so few of india's uh, rural residents have chosen to move to the cities and make cities their home i think says something about the fundamentally hostile conditions that the cities have created whether it is uh, you know pre liberalization because really the rural was you know what india was you know it was india was uh, a country of villages to now when there is actually hostile neo liberal structures in place which keep out which exclude the migrants uh, so you know just to point out that this is almost a matter of uh, you know the um, uh, it's it is really a function of urban governance uh, more than anything else so thank you so much again professor gopa i do hope to continue the conversation with you with uh, professor shomadi with professor bhagat uh, and of course dr kumar and dr mehta as well thank you so much uh, okay uh, uh, so just uh, i now request uh, dr kumar to chip in and have your comments simi 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 should go first simi okay okay so uh, just uh, we have uh, dr simi mehta who is the ceo of impri so it's over to use uh, simi for your comments you. or questions thank you so much professor good evening sir professor bhagat uh, dr ashima and professor gopa thank you so much for your wonderful insights uh, i have learned so much and uh, i would just add as a uh, as a student of political science that uh, how do we look the uh, look at the entire uh, theme uh, from the uh, from the uh, systems approach uh, you know that has been given by uh, andre gunda frank and also by samir amin and others and how are uh, these peri urban areas 
actually uh, actually being the recipients of uh, the uh, so called uh, colony uh, you know passing it on to the peri urban and the peripheries so thank you so much for your insights and i really hope to look forward to such discussions with you again and professor bhagat thank you so much it it has been so so insightful listening to you and you're truly the doyen of entire migration uh, theories and thank you so much i would not take much time over to you arjun thank you sir learning is a partnership <laughs> thank you so much sir this is really humbling thank you yes and same professor bhagat also uh, uh, highlighted that uh, because of this migrants are also somewhat excluded in the political sphere mm. of voting and many things so rightly that political dimension is also very important yeah, actually i wanted to point this out but we are short of time so maybe we can talk about it uh, uh, sometime next year no, but very pertinent point this is very interesting and very important actually yes that who owns the city and the right to city framework i just because when we were planning the event we really thought about the topic suburbanization suburb project many things we are also looking you know small cities uh, but uh, ma'am also highlighted something uh, exclusionary peri urbanization and there i really wanted as uh, also ashima ma'am one two minute to also conclude on this issue that uh, uh, and there are also issues of slums and rental so many things uh, our professor gopasamanta also highlighted that uh, then uh, most of our peri urbanization are i would say exclusionary but uh, the highlight is also that it is ignored you know no one is there to take care also process suit also highlighted that how the structures are also evolving and uh, how the political process or the decision making process as professor bhagat is also highlighting especially for uh, services not for high class infrastructure also as professor samanta is highlighting so uh, but this year has been really of the indian story was the uh, this precarious affairs and migrant exodus so why not let's to conclude uh, uh, we can go uh, 1 1 2 2 minute to uh, to ashima ma'am mm and then uh, professor bhagat sir also professor gopa samadeep sir would you also like to add concluding 1 1 2 2 minutes yes yes i think i think let's start with professor bhagat and professor shamanta and then we will uh, go to dr shud because she is our speaker today as so we, it's uh, uh, so it's over to professor bhagat your quick yes. points yes uh, so i was uh, just i will continue what i said a little bit more so what is city uh, if you see what is city city has become a political entity uh, actually city is a unbounded category there is no boundary there is no but who fixes the boundary it is the government who is fixing the boundary so city begins and city ends uh, by the government Go government is extending the boundary and it becomes the municipal this is a lot of politics going on the politics of making boundary because uh, boundary makes uh, uh, the sense in the way that the laws will be implemented uh, so municipal laws and taxation and etc so all these uh, things are uh, there the political issues and uh, so it is connected very much and then dr uh, somdeep chatopadhyay what you raised about decentralization very important thing uh, uh, so we have to see decentralization as a uh, subject urban development subject uh, belonging to state it is not the central government 74th amendment 
has been done by the central government or by parliament, but actually it will be implemented by state government. Who is hampering? Who is blocking 74th amendment? It is the state government blocking by and large. So state government, government of Maharashtra or government of Telangana doesn't want to leave Hyderabad or Bombay. Bombay, Bombay having, if you see the revenue base, revenue of Bombay is larger than 17 states of India. If you see 17, Goa, Nagaland, uh, Manipur, all these states, Himachal Pradesh, uh, Jammu Kashmir, you can see huge. Without Bombay, you cannot imagine Maharashtra. So state government doesn't want to leave. So 74th Amendment actually is the responsibility of the state government to empower these things. And decentralization will not be in, uh, in one uh, type. Decentralization in Odisha will be entirely different and within the imagination of government of Odisha or in respect with the people of Odisha, so will be. So I think there are a lot of issues to, uh, to highlight, but today's discussion was very enriching, very lot of learning. I also learned from Dr. Sood's presentation. So thank you very much. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Bhagat. Yes. Thank you, Professor Bhagat. Now it's over to Professor Shamanto. If you have any yeah, quick points. Uh, yeah, thank you once again. In fact, um, you know that um, yeah, urbanization recently, um, Neil Brenner written another new book, which I was attending other day, the book discussion, I think Oshima was also there. I, I can't remember exactly. They always link urbanization with the territory. Like probably we have to think that urbanization is taking, urbanization is a process and we cannot always link urbanization process with cities, territorial limits only. Because even if we think about as Oshima has as and census towns, Professor Bhagat has also uh, told in many places, and I have also a little worked on those. So even the process of urbanization itself, we cannot limit within cities. So we have to think that everywhere, I mean, these days, early industrial houses used to be located within the urban areas and these days they want to escape the even the development authority areas so that stipulate they can escape from the stipulated norms of the development authority areas so they always look for even the new industrial locations if you if you look into the industrial houses, they are also part of the process of urbanization. So we cannot only understand the process of urbanization with the help of city limits only. City, definitely cities are a distinctive forms of urban processes. And definitely they have our territorial limits, but as long as we do not accept the process of urbanization, which is not only limited within the territorial limits of a city, then we pointed out. So, and also another point I would like to add that politics is everywhere. We cannot just make urbanization and urban decisions out of politics. It's not possible, but what we feel that in case of state, as, as Professor Bhagat has rightly pointed out, that state governments are controlling the cities. And yes, their they main funds, uh, the, the main funding uh, comes from the, uh, especially the smaller cities, the main funding comes from the state uh, bodies 
itself urban development ministry or uh, like in west bengal it is both urban development and municipal affairs so in that case what we see that even if we think about decentralization then every at every scale a centralization is occurring how because central government is trying to control more and more state governments and state governments are trying to control the local governments so this process of centralization i'm just want to give i just would like to give one example from from uh, west bengal case as if that when when the government who forms a which political party is in the government of that particular city so the, even the funding the level of funding it and proportion of funding depends on whether the same city government is under the same party which is controlling the state government if there is a different government different political party operating in that at that city level then there is a problem of funding okay you the the, the citizens of this city they have not voted for us why would you give them the funding is a plain and simple declaration sometimes is meant by different politicians that is one one thing i would like to address and also another centralization and devolution of power a little power you know after a very long time only in 2006 we we had a different regime of left front government for so long time so we did not think about the pay and youth services for the cities but finally in 2006 the earlier government of left front government decided okay we can raise a little revenue from the cities through the water tax you know in the next uh, state level election the main agenda of that election was okay if we come to the power we will try to stop taking the water taxes and after that after when there was no no government order it was just a just a verbal order from the government and to to all the city governments that state government to the city government that you don't take water taxes anymore and you know how much these cities started to lose their revenue somewhere it is 40 lakh per even even if shomodi ban talking about bolpur i interviewed that vice chairman and and he told me that it was 42 lakh which we used to raise as revenue per month from water sector and they have lost so it's a very complicated process and i really don't have a one way solution of it but we have to think about rigorously we have to work on at least the people who are thinking about cities and even if we know that nobody is going to listen to us we have to say it again and again that's all so thank you thank you so that's why we are organizing this city conversation series so that we can reach the policy makers if <laughs> in some way so it's over to dr shuth for your concluding maybe a minute if you could please yes absolutely you know um, I, i did want to uh, you know bring to everybody's attention you know this sort of uh, very unusual saying by professor gavin shukin uh, who many of you may know he is of course an urbanist and you know he he makes the point in his recent book you know that indian uh, cities are over planned and under governed and it's a very provoke <laughs> provocative uh, point and sort of has also been uh, very much a starting point for my own analysis uh, because you know when i started looking at uh, you know the kinds of informality that we see in uh, our cities 
um it of it was absolutely as professor bhagat pointed out there is and professor samanta is pointing out you know they it is part of the plan right the unplanned is part of the plan and if you choose to exclude uh, you know large segments of the population from the plan then you know you should expect that there would be forms of informality that would emerge but also equally that these populations are governed very very differently that's the one thing i want to say and uh, finally i did want to say it's been uh, you know uh, such a privilege and such an honor to interact with professor bhagat and professor samanta because both of their work has been such a inspiration for my own so uh, thank you so much uh, professor somyadeep dr kumar and uh, the rest of the mp team for making this conversation possible thank you again thank you thank you on behalf of team mp once again i uh, thank you all for participating in this city conversation series and we look forward to your participation in the future events of city conversation as well so a very uh, uh, good evening and good night so so from <laughs> from our end so thank you thank you have a nice have a nice evening